0: Well, I'm so, so excited. We're, we're starting this brand new series called Seven Today. And uh, back in December, we had this conversation about this Go series, and the Go series was going to lead into the Renaissance 2.0 vision. And what should we do after? It was a real big question for us, because we wanted to make sure that we came out of this Go series and Renaissance 2.0 vision and did something really, really cool. And so as we were talking, we're like, well, how do we follow this vision? What's the best thing for us as a church and to be taught and for us to listen and wrestle through? And what, what, what is that? And quickly, two things kind of surface. Well, it needs to be about Jesus, because he's kind of important, and the church. Because Jesus is the hope of the world, and because Jesus is the hope of the world, he has placed that into our hands, the church, as his catalytic engine to get his message to all people. And so we're like, okay, if Jesus and the church, those are important, we should talk about those things. Where's the best place in the Bible to talk about Jesus and the church? Well, we quickly came to Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Now, maybe for some of you, you've all always thought about the book Revelation, you've kind of said to yourself, uh uh-uh, uh, there's no way I'm gonna study that. Maybe you've tried to before. And you get into chapters four and five, and there's like winged creatures and tribulation and death, and right, it gets into that place really fast, and you're like, I have no clue what's going on. And that's true because the entire book of Revelation is prophecy. The word revelation is actually apocalypsis, which means unveiling. And so there's all these word pictures and imagery of what's going to happen. And it's so difficult uh, to try to make sense of. Some of the greatest uh, 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 professors and professors of theology and theologians ever to live have wrestled through Revelation chapter 4, 5, and on. But what we find in chapters 2 and 3 is some of the best information some of the, the best wisdom uh, that we could ever, ever hold on to about Jesus and the church. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is, is sharing this prophecy, sharing these words with John. John has been exiled to the island of Patmos, and there he is. He's under uh, basically arrest. I mean, you can't get off the island, you're stuck there. And so he gets this vision from Jesus. And so in verse 11, it says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, John. I'm gonna give you, you know, this prophecy, these words. I want you to write them down and I want you to send them to these seven churches. But he doesn't say write one letter and send that one letter just to Ephesus. He says, write down all of this And send all of this to all the churches. You see, what Jesus is giving, both to 2,000 years ago, to these seven churches 2,000 years ago, but also for you and I today, is his performance evaluation. We're going to see over the next seven weeks in these seven churches, Jesus' performance evaluation. We just got through as a staff, going through what we call uh, our PEP process, our personal enhancement uh, 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 process. And uh, we've been walking through staff. And if you've ever been through kind of an evaluation, performance evaluation process, you know that people can do those extremely well or uh, it can be really brutal. And, uh, but there should be two core pieces, right? What has that person done extremely well and where do they need to work on it? You need both of those pieces in balance, and so on our, our PEP process, we had this column called the top 5%. And all the supervisors know they could only give out a few few of the top 5%, right? Because if everyone got top 5% in every area, it's not top 5% anymore, right? But we've also had to sit down and talk with people and say, but these are areas you need to work on. Uh, Sunday night after Vespers, I had a kind of impromptu uh, evaluation uh, process that I wasn't aware of I was being invited to. And so I got off the stage and I, I walked to the back. And there's a circle of people who decided that they wanted to evaluate me. And they said to me, they said, hey, Chris, say the word roof. And I say, rough. And I said, and they laughed. And I, I'm like, what? They said, say that. I'm like, rough. And they're like, uh ah. They're like, it's roof, not rough. What does a dog do? I'm like, bark, you know? (laughs) Right? So they they proceeded to let me know that I was saying roof wrong. So I have practiced all week so I can say roof correctly. Thank you. I will curtsy. And so Jesus is going to give these seven churches a performance evaluation. He's going to tell them what, what areas are the top 5% what areas they need to work on. He's going to share with them an action plan on how to accomplish that. He's also going to say, if you don't change, if you don't work on that, that one side, that, that rebuke, the correction side, there's going to be consequences. But he also says to you, but there's going to be a reward if you do. And so we're going to walk through the next seven weeks looking at all of those different areas. So we're going to jump in to the church of Ephesus Starting in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus right? The word angel, probably if you hear that word, you're thinking like some winged creature with a harp singing. La, 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 right? You're, that's what, or if you're kind of more on the dark side, you're thinking the angel of death with a sword. But here in Revelation, the word angel, it's actually the word angelos, which means messenger or herald. And back during the Old Testament, New Testament times, that was a very common word that people would be given as a title, like a king would send his angelos, his herald, his messenger. We found in one writing uh, that was dated 95 AD that the pastor of the church in Rome used the title of angelos or messenger, herald. And so what Jesus is saying here is, to the elder, or to the pastor, or to the spiritual leader, that point person of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, right there, right, we're already in the middle of Revelation, and we're like, there we go, and that's what makes Revelation so difficult sometimes to read through. What's the seven stars in his right hand, and the lampstand, and What's that all about? Well, if you go to the very last verse in chapter 1, Jesus uh, describes. The seven stars represents the spiritual leaders, the pastors of those seven churches. The lampstand represents the church. And we can read verse 1, and we can get lost in this imagery of the lampstand and and, and Jesus' right hand and the seven stars and probably these images in your mind, what that could all look like you know what? We get lost in that moment and we forget that there's a simplicity to the book of Revelation. And there's these little pieces that if we're not careful, we'll miss. You know what the most critical part of verse 1 is? Probably the, the most critical part for all of chapters 2 and 3. It's not the lampstand. It's not his right hand. It's not the seven stars in his hands. Walks among. You get that? Jesus is actively walking amongst the churches. So many times we think he's way up there, so far removed. He's taking this passive stance. He's in his lazy boy chair, drinking a nice tea. No, he's walking amongst. He's actively involved in the, in the church. He's actively involved leading. He's actively involved encouraging. He's actively involved guiding. He's actively involved with the church. And he's walking among all these lampstands representing the churches. And he's saying, you know what? No, I'm in this with you. I'm in this with you. Together. We're going to accomplish amazing things. Then he starts into kind of the commendation side, the attaboys, the high five side of of the church of Ephesus. He goes, I know your deeds. And they're going to be really uh, stellar. I mean, these things that he's three specific things he's going to uh, outline for the church of Ephesus. He's saying top 5%. I know your deeds. They're in the top 5% of all churches. Your hard work is number one. Hard work. That word literally means to toil, to sweat, to come to a point of physical exhaustion. He's saying to this pastor, this spiritual leader, and to everyone in the church of Ephesus way to go! High five. You are serving, you are getting it done. You're not procrastination. Procrastinating, you, you, sloth is not even in your vocabulary. you see the plan, you see the needs, and you are giving your all to accomplishing that. You go back to Acts chapter two and this this uh, litany of, of just different things that should be part of the church, caring for the poor and giving all of that you have to those in need and feeding the hungry and serving the widows and orphans and doing all of those things. He's saying, you are working hard to the point of physical exhaustion, way to go. Thank you for giving all of yourself. What I know here is there's some people that are serving at that level within Renaissance. I was at a meeting uh, Saturday morning, one of our uh, kind of smaller sub teams to our Renaissance 2.0 team. And it was just inspiring how much they've given. And um, for those of you sitting on those Renaissance 2.0 T's, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because I know how precious your time is. I know that you have had to carve out more time to give to Renaissance. And I just want to say thank you. And honestly, Jesus would say to you, thank you. For those of you who serve in the kitchen and carry up bagels and, and all that stuff every Sunday, three flights of stairs, so that we can have hot coffee and food, thank you. And for those of you serving in our ushers and greeters, and you're smiling and you're welcoming people, thank you. And for those of you serving in children's and students, thank you for giving so sacrificially here and being part of the church. For some of you, you're sitting there right now going, busted. But here's, here's the thing. I'm going to give you all something that you can do, no matter how much time you have. And it might sound so simple to you, but really, it's foundational for Renaissance, for us as a church. And the count of three, I'm going to ask you all to do something. And again, I, whenever I do something like this, I just say, please play my game. Make me feel good up here. Um, I just need that affirmation. So play my game. But it's something that I think all of you can do. To use your gifts and talents. Because I really believe all of you have this gift. Okay, you ready? Count of three, I'm going to ask you all to do this. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to smile. One, two, three, smile. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's, I just feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. And I'm serious about this. You might think, really? I just smiled. Yes, smile. It's a... We know that we have five to eight minutes from the time someone gets out of their car door, for them to decide whether they'll ever come back here again. Five to eight minutes. The time they walk onto our little patio area. You like the new sign? Oh, it looks nice. Walk up the stairs. See the children's area. Walk up another flight of stairs. (laughs) Walk into our cafe area. Walk past countless people walk in here and sit down. Music hasn't even started and people have already determined whether or not they feel welcome here. Think about it in a restaurant. You could walk into a restaurant and they have the world's greatest chef ever. But if you walk in those front doors and that entryway is a mess and it smells like, like Lysol, if you walk up to that host desk and no one's there, and you stand there waiting, and you have countless people working there walk past you, and they don't say a word to you. And once that host actually walks up, they don't greet you. They stand there and stare at the book. And you're like, hello. They finally realize you're standing there, and they take you to a table that's just been freshly wiped off with that rag that's been sitting in that bucket of water. <laughs> oh, yeah, that smell, right? You're like, and you're just, you're just knowing what to do. And you're like, excuse me, oh, well, We'll, we'll, we'll dry it off for you. And you wait and wait and wait. We can, it doesn't matter how great the chef is. It doesn't matter how great the band is. It doesn't matter how great the lights are. It doesn't matter how great e- even the video. It doesn't matter if everything leading into this place screams, we don't want you here. So what can you do? First of all, you can smile. Second of all, we need people to be part of our greeting, our ushers, people that will stand out on the the little patio area, whether it's sunshiny, which never happens, or it's cloudy, uh, whether it's cold, but people out there greeting who smile, people who will be our ushers, who will stand in this room and hand out and and greet people and answer questions, people working at our guest center. If you can smile and you have 15 extra minutes, guess what? We could use you. But we need people everywhere. In our children's area, making that sure that a child has the best hour of their week. In, in our student ministries, all of you have been teenagers before, right? You, you, you know if you're a parent of a teenager right now, you can say nothing right. And you know nothing. <laughs> and that's why we need other adults speaking in the lives of our teenagers to help in that transition of life. So we're going to make it real simple for you. Uh, serve at renaissancechurch.org today right now in the service it's okay you can get out your smartphone um and you can answer other emails while you're at multitask i'm fine with that but if you're going to multitask just drop us an email maybe in the subject line you just put smile we we will get that we'll use you maybe there's somewhere specific you want to help out with maybe you don't know that's all you need to do even if you sent a blank email to us to that we'll we'll follow up with you that's fine it's real simple we we want you to be in the life of this church. Well, he goes on. He goes. Your hard work and your perseverance, your perseverance. You see, they were 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 struggling with some pretty extreme pressures. You see, in the in the city of Ephesus, two major things were going on religiously. One is Domitian was was literally saying that you must. He was a, the emperor of Rome. That you must worship him. That he was God. That He was Lord, and you had to claim that he was God, he was Lord. So emperor worship was huge. And if not, penalty was severe punishment, if not death. The second piece in this religious kind of pot was was in Ephesus, located in Ephesus, was one of the uh, ancient seven wonders of the world. It was a temple built to the Roman goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility. Thousands of temple prostitutes worked. At this ancient wonder. And this church got hit on all sides. They dealt with this group called the Nicolaitans. If you go down to verse 6, it says, But you have this in your favor you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Listen closely. Jesus didn't say, I hate the people, he said, I hate the practices the teachings of these Nicolaitans who were taking parts of the Bible that they liked and parts of this emperor worship thing that they liked because they didn't want to go against Rome. And they took parts of this temple uh, worship of this goddess of fertility because they kind of liked this whole prostitute thing. And they said, well, this is our new faith. And they were trying to infiltrate the church. And so the church was being just attacked from every side. And Jesus gets more specific, and he says, I know what you cannot tolerate, wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. And Jesus said, way to go. You're working hard. You're persevering amongst uh, extreme persecution. And you're making sure that these false teachers, these false apostles, these people that are just picking apart the Bible for the things they want and they like and kind of going to the the buffet of religions and grabbing these other pieces and you're making sure that they're outside of the church, that you're getting rid of those people. Way to go. Then we get to verse four. And this is yet, the literal translation is the word but, right? It's a stark contrast, this, this dynamic turn where he says, but, and you know, here it comes, right? These are the top 5%, but there's some, something that you need to pay attention to. He goes, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love. In the book of Matthew, Jesus was asked a simple question. Out of all these 618 or so laws, what's the greatest? And Jesus responded, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. We, We keep coming back to this because it's so important. And you know what Jesus was saying? First of all, you've forsaken your first love, me. You're not loving me. There's a story in Luke chapter 10, Uh, Jesus and the disciples were coming into this town. And at this point in time, Jesus was literally a rock star. Whether people believed he was a son of God or not, at that point didn't matter as much that his popularity, his fame, it would be like Bono, right? If you heard Bono was going to show up to the the opera house, right? This place would be packed. It's like, ah, this was Jesus. He's coming in this town. And this lady named Martha said, hey, I wonder if he would come eat at my house. Let me give it a shot. And so she got word to the disciples to Jesus. Hey, would you guys come eat at my house? And Jesus said, yes. Could you imagine if you got word somehow through like to Bono? Say, hey, will you come to eat dinner at my house? I'll pick up some pizza. (laughs) Right? And he said, yes. So Jesus gets to her house. And guess what Martha is doing? I mean, she has Jesus in her house. She's frantically cleaning, frantically cooking. She wants to prepare the best meal she possibly could for Jesus. Could you imagine her mind spinning going, well, I I asked. I just didn't think he would say yes. And now he's there. Well, at this moment, she realizes her sister. Now, we don't know if it's a younger or older sister. I'm guessing her younger sister wasn't helping she was just sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. So she comes out. And this is just classic, like those moments with siblings, right? If you have an older or younger brother or sister, you know. Like this is this classic moment. Martha comes out and she says this to Jesus. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Right? That's just classic like sister, sister, brother, sister moments. Tell her to help me. Love it. And this is how Jesus responds. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. For some of you, for some of you, You've lost sight of Jesus because you're so busy doing. You're so busy serving him. And what Jesus was saying to Martha was, Martha, the most important thing you could be doing isn't worrying about all the preparations for the meal and preparations of your house and all this other stuff. The most important thing just to sit at my feet and listen to me. And I want to challenge those of you who find yourself more like Martha. Slow down. Remember your first love. It's Jesus. And he would rather you sit at his feet and listen to him than be so busy serving him. Well, the other side, Is they isolated themselves from their neighbors. Right? The perseverance they were going or the persecution they were going through, how they had to try to persevere, both religiously and culturally, and what happens when people attack you. Right? At some point you just want to go and just protect yourself. You go in this defensive mode. And it's so easy for churches to pull inward because the attacks from the culture get so intense and you get so tired of getting beaten down. And Jesus was like, Ephesus, if your priority is me, then you'll get outside of your walls and you'll love your neighbor as yourself, that you'll be a light everywhere you go. And he says, I don't want a church that's in a bubble. I don't want a church that's isolated from the world. I don't want a church that's just concerned about their needs, their wants, their desires. He goes, I want you outside of here and not be isolated because you are the hope of the world. Well, Jesus gives us three very simple steps to avoid isolation. He says, consider how far you have fallen The simple word I wrote down is the word remember. Remember what it was like. Remember who you were. Remember where you came from. Remember what Christ did for you. Every Vespers, we have a time of communion. And what I love about communion is is when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a time to remember what Christ did, what he taught, how he lived, and what he sacrificed. And Jesus said, remember. Because if you remember, your eyes will turn upwards on him. And you can't forsake your first love when you remember what he has done for you. He goes on, he says, repent. The word literally means to turn away from, face a new direction, head in a new direction. Leave the old, head in a new and he says, don't just remember, but repent from your ways. Your life must change. And you must, you must keep your first love in that first slot. And then he says, and do the things you did at first. Respond. Just respond. Go, okay, this is What my life was like. This is where I was. And I need to get back to that intensity and that passion of my first love. But this is when that point where Jesus gets really, really serious. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Last week I shared with you, some 4,000 churches close their door every year. I, I just wonder, this is in Chris Truthway's little wandering space, mentally. I wonder if that's Jesus literally removing lampstands. Because we're going to see this throughout the seven churches. And I think Jesus is that serious. Because he realizes that the church is the hope of the world. And if the church isn't going to get it done. And if the church isn't going to take it serious. And if the church doesn't heed his warnings. If the church, he's just going to remove the lampstand. He ends this letter to the church in Ephesus by saying this. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He goes, but if you will respond, if you will repent, if you will remember, if you will, guess what? The reward, it doesn't get any greater than that, eternal life doesn't get any greater than that. So the question is today, how do we make sure that we don't lose our first love, we don't lose sight of our first love, that we keep our eyes focused on our first love, Jesus? How do we make sure? Well, I challenge all of you, get to know Jesus more. It sounds like such a basic thing, right? Get to know Jesus. Oh, thanks a lot, Chris. No duh. Okay, check off. Seriously, get to know. How did he think? How did he lead? How did he respond? How did he interact? What, what, what are the things that just ticked Jesus off? What are the things that made him cry? What are the things that gave him joy? Start in the book of Luke. Start in the book of John. Two great places for, places for you to get to know Jesus. And as you get to know him, your eyes will turn to him. I don't know if you've ever seen this picture before. We had this painting in our house. It's a picture of Jesus. And uh, um, probably uh, if you didn't have this in your house, or maybe you still do, you've seen this image of Jesus before. And what I've always found interesting is this meek, mild, gentle, pacifist Jesus, right? And I'm not saying that he doesn't have those attributes. But when John saw Jesus... Right before he received this prophecy. This is how John described Jesus. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like that of sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like that of the sun shining in all its brilliance. a little different image than that. Get to know Jesus. And as you do, because I'm pretty sure that description has blown some of your minds because you've always seen Jesus holding the little sheep. You know that picture, right? Spend this week reading Revelation chapter 1, reading that description of Jesus. Today we launch our spiritual life survey. If you're on our email list, you're going to get an email. If not, uh, again, get on our email list. We do so much communication that way. But we launch that. Why? That whole survey is about us getting to know where all of us are spiritually So that all of us can get to know Jesus in a more life-giving way. And so I just, please take 30 minutes. I know, take 30 minutes. When the Super Bowl game gets really, really boring in the second quarter. (laughs) Take the survey, you know. Sometime this week, we need to know because it's going to help us uh, create tools and resources to help you grow to help you discover Jesus in a life-giving way. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for our time we had together. I thank you for, uh, man, this church. I love this church. I love being a part of it. I love that my kids get to be a part of it. I love that my wife and I get to worship together. I love that the, the impact and the difference that this church is making in so many lives, that lives are literally, I know my life is different just from the six months of being here. Lord, I just, Thank you for walking amongst us. And Lord, I pray that all of us will fight to keep you number one. That we will remember what you did for us. That that we will repent and that we will respond to you. In your name I pray, amen.